0: You can also gain access to our found footage show, the Weird Tape series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
2: The weeks flew by as Isaiah and I settled into new routines, routines the marshland was more than happy to accommodate. Turned out Emmett's Inn was once part of a massive preserve, the Threshold, as it was called, that included bird sanctuaries, boardwalks overlaying the deep waters of the swamp, and loads of conservatory structures that dotted the landscape. It was just a short walk to the rear of the inn, where nearly overgrown paths spread out amongst the high reeds, searching the low waters for the best places to observe wildlife. On any given day, I could find Isaiah somewhere in the bottomlands with at least one book, a notebook and pencil, and his briefcase sitting nearby. I had not spent enough time with him to know whether he was in the habit of being so relaxed, content, but I guessed not. I knew I never was. But it was the first time in our lives we were let alone to be ourselves. (laughs) It was the first time I felt like we were family. Not long after we arrived at the inn, I went on a long walk to see what there was to see. About an hour into my stroll, I came upon a massive abandoned house. It crowned a tall hill just outside the threshold, where the breeze played through the high grass. It was a sight straight out of a dream, which made me unsure of what to do about it. I smelled wildflowers wafting from the inside, (laughs) despite the utter lack of the things being anywhere around. My senses were capable of detecting smells, sounds, and even tastes both inside and outside of a dream. And I loved flowers. Only slightly more run down than where we were staying, the house was every inch a derelict, but a sweet one. There was a happiness inside, mostly fled, but some part of it lingered, and I had a good idea where it was hiding. The four-poster bed had long since succumbed to gravity, the mattress resting unevenly atop his broken legs. Yet there wasn't anything beyond dust and spiderwebs to prohibit me from pulling it flat and laying down on it. Sleep came easily, sweetly. The dreams nestled within were old, pre-darkness, beautiful, filled with better times, And wildflowers. Emily Dodson was her name, the dreamer who'd impressed the details of her wonderful little life into the old wood and yellowed cushions. She'd lived a full life and had loved enough for two lifetimes. She and her family lived there, all eight of them, for years and years. I can
1: see you.
2: They were happy, right up to the day they left for even greener pastures. (sighs) I hoped they'd found them, though I doubted it. The darkness had ruined everything. And everyone. In the evening, Isaiah or I would make a great big pot of coffee. He finally started drinking the stuff, but only after he loaded it with enough sugar to kill a horse. We'd sit out on the huge deck that wrapped around the back of the inn, drinking our joe, talking about the lightest topics, enjoying the life we thought we'd never have. Once the sun was down, I'd head to my little house on the hill to dream of a world vanished more than two decades ago. And Isaiah would wander the wetlands, writing poems and watching nightbirds. We had the run of the whole place. Stickler, the owner, had taken off shortly after we arrived, saying he had business in Hallowick. (laughs) But I knew better. He feared me, my eyes, what they meant. Isaiah told him to take his time coming back, that we were reclamation agents and we would watch the place while he was gone. That and some extra money Isaiah gave him for good measure. And we were on our own. One evening, while I was sprucing up my bedroom in the abandoned house, accenting the atmosphere with smartly placed candles and some wildflowers I'd found out in the marsh, I caught sight of my shadow, pressed black and bottomless against the wall, where the candles had thrown it. I'd already rid the place of all the soiled glass and mirrors that I might accidentally catch my reflection in, but my shadow would be a harder itch to scratch. I suppose it was that moment, as I carefully examined the problem of scrubbing my own shadow out of existence, that I was forced to face facts. <sighs> my delusion was getting worse. Any time I saw myself, or a symbol of myself such as my shadow, I was reminded of my fear, that I was Charlotte, dying, bleeding out after giving birth. And that all this, my new life alongside my brother, the wonderful dreams in the house on the hill, was nothing but a dream before dying. I also realized one of the contributing causes, the truth I'd been keeping about our father, or at least what was likely our father. I didn't want to spoil it all bringing the past up, the rot we'd sprung from. But the guilt I felt over hiding the fact might as well have been the fuel for delusion. So I finally decided, it was time. Weren't for this deck, the occasional need for electricity and a kitchen, I think the two of us could live quite happily out here, wandering the marshland full time.
0: <laughs> no doubt about it. Speaking of which, I think I'm going to have to hit the grocery store soon. We've about finished all Stickler's grub.
2: That might be the only downside to living out here for me. No one's dreams involve cooking or visiting a pantry. The dreams in the old house are all residual. I gotta have real dreams for actual sustenance.
0: So, you prefer eating in dreams to my masterful culinary concoctions, huh?
2: Oh, I'll admit it, you make some mean pork and beans. And your fried eggs and corned beef hash are nothing to scoff at. (laughs) But I do prefer my slumberland banquets to your bottomland buffets. (laughs) No offense.
0: None taken. But, uh. What is it like? To sleep? To, um. To dream?
2: Well? That's a big question. You've never asked anyone that question before, have you?
0: Nope. Never had anyone to ask, really. It's always been just me and the EXOs, <laughs> And you really don't want to get them going. Christ, they'll talk your ear off if you let them. I, um, I remember Dr. Karras back when we were kids at the lab. He said they were, I don't know, like little TV shows people watched when they were asleep. Apart from that, I've read quite a bit on the subject, but never really talked to anyone about it.
2: Well, I suppose it's sort of like having one life haunted by the ghost of another. Like walking through the memory of something that's never actually happened. It could be a family that isn't yours, a city you've never visited, or an alien world built from glass. Anything. All of it utterly foreign and totally familiar all at once. When you wake up, you might recall some of it. Just fragments for most people. But in general, your waking life feels contaminated in varying degrees by the lives you've never lived.
0: Sounds nice. To get a break from it all, I mean. I guess, uh, I guess that's why I like it here so much. doesn't even seem real. All this... freedom.
2: Sometimes... Sometimes it's not all it's cracked up to be. You know, uh, speaking of dreams, I was trying to tell you something before we got jumped back in Hallowick.
0: Oh yeah? What about?
2: Our father?
0: Our father? I thought... uh... I thought you said we really didn't have.
2: I... I didn't want to deal with it then. Especially, especially not when I could see you were in a pretty bad place about the whole thing. About our mother. About Charlotte.
0: I see. So, uh... I'm just guessing here, but, uh... We do come from monsters, then. Don't we?
2: Think so. It happened back at the lab. I was deep into a sleep read when when the thing called out to me. It never gave its name, but I got the impression it was pretty high up on the wakeless pecking order. <sighs> it said it knew our mother, that she loved it, him. And that she gave him the greatest gift of all a family. Uh, I think. I think she was special to him for some reason. I woke up as fast as I could, and I never saw him again. (sighs) And now you know as much as I do. I'm so sorry, Isaiah.
0: We're almost out of coffee, I'll uh, pick some up in the morning. I didn't like leaving Romy all alone, but I needed to process what she'd said, and I always thought better behind the wheel. I never knew much about where we came from, nothing besides what little we were told when we were kids, and then only from the one doctor who seemed to give a damn about us, Dr. Karis. <laughs> I don't even know his full name. Once they separated us, I was sent to train within the deep schools where you didn't ask questions, and you sure as hell never got answers. Even after I moved up the ranks, graduating from Jericho, making the elite hit squads, getting chosen as a hunter for the night hand, I only managed bits and pieces of what happened to make me who I was. Apart from learning how to use my ability, and then how to use the pale revolvers, I was a man without a history. Just a... just a hunter an occasional killer with a lethal set of skills. The past is simply a handle for the enemy to grab onto, to control you, was what one of my instructors used to tell us. All we would-be hunter-killers needed to know was what we were, what we could do, and how and when to act. I excelled because I exemplified that credo. There was no past for me to forget save a sister they'd stolen from me years ago. And, of course, the experiments they used to run on me, none of which I understood. Not then, not now. Just a big mechanical harness that lifted me high into the whitest, cleanest room imaginable and the small bank of windows where they'd watch from. Romy never told me what they did to her, whenever it was her turn to be dragged, kicking and screaming down the hall to the lab. Now I find out I'm not even human, which was what I'd always expected, to be honest. Once I was out on my own, hunting Exos for the Night Hand, I did some looking into the Night Plague in Nuvec. It only made sense that I'd be... inhuman. But I didn't know. Not for sure. It's doubt what holds whole worlds together. Keeps people in faith and self-sustaining hope. Just the smallest amount of uncertainty can be the difference between sunny Jesus and the promised land, and nothing. Just mindless causes and effects. And I just got all the nothing I deserved. My causes and effects. And all made perfect sense now. What I was and what I did. I took joy in hunting and killing because, because I was a monster. My ticks were so bad I could barely drive, having to look down at the floor as I went along, rolling my eyes as far back into my head as I could. Lucky for me, there were no other cars on the road, but as usual, it was my obsessions that were really bothering me. I couldn't stop thinking that I'd gotten Romy killed by leaving her alone. It wasn't that I thought she'd get killed, because I wasn't there to save her, but that fate or whatever force governed the universe, would deliberately punish me for leaving. She would die because I left. A lot of the problem was that I'd cut back on my meds. They toned down my tics and obsessions all right, but they they also cut into my creativity, my wonder, the only parts of myself I got along with. Didn't want to spoil my enjoyment of Emmett's threshold by numbing myself to it, so I'd been taking a pill only every couple of days or so. The little town I found myself in was called North Cardens, one of those sleepy little burgs you stopped at just long enough to gas up, grab some road snacks, and vamoose. The city looked like it was in a tug-of-war with the woods, though the contest seemed playful enough neither side appearing too determined to win. It was the sort of place you stayed for the rest of your life, a bucolic haven against the cold steel and stone of big city living, where the banality of a rote little existence merged with the quiet joys of the countryside, making life's journey to nowhere a largely pleasant one. The scenery was doing a decent enough job at taking my mind off the bomb Romy had dropped on me, I didn't hold it against her, it was, uh, it was the right thing to do and she did it as gently as she could and with the best of intentions I just wish she'd let me keep my uncertainty the possibility that we were born from human beings and not uh, not whatever the hell the wakeless were still, if Sugar turned out to be genuine family, which it seemed he just might be my uncertainty would start looking more like willful stupidity While the picturesque homes drifted by, house after tree after bramble, it suddenly dawned on me. Here I was, sulking about the truth Romy had been forced to carry around for years, all by herself. And when she sought to share the burden, I bolted for the goddamn grocery store. Christ, I couldn't get out of my own way anymore. My head stuck straight up my ass. I needed to get what needed getting and head back. ...to apologize for being such a fucking self-absorbed schmuck. It was precisely that self-absorption that kept me from noticing sooner... ...the bizarre mass slowly enveloping the city like an ephemeral tidal wave. It looked sort of like fog at first but then seemed to shimmer and twist, throwing off the sunlight where it tried to illuminate the thing. Whatever it was, it was largely transparent, and I could see where it swept across the city, and unlike fog, it transformed the things it moved over. Each and every house took on a different look. Little huts, all the way to squatting miniature castles, with some of them contorting into shapes that didn't strike me as stemming from any known architectural category. As for the patches of woods and whatnot, they were pulling the same stunt, changing into bizarre caricatures of themselves, like the natural world was taking its cues from cartoons. I could swear that at one point a family of squirrels was dancing down a branch, all of them kicking up their little feet and swinging tiny canes as they soft-shoed along. And it wasn't just the stuff in and around the city that changed. Even the sun and the sky seemed different when glimpsed through the body of the shifting mass. Where the sky was visible, which had turned a deep shade of green, I could make out the weird silhouettes of corkscrewing towers that sure as shit hadn't been there before the mass showed up. As for the sun, it now possessed a face, a bright, ridiculous grin revealing rows of perfect teeth, its eyes bugged out like a goddamn lunatic. The fucking thing was even looking at me. I threw the car in reverse, the weird fog creeping too close for comfort. Shooting a look into the rear view, I could see people skipping, hopping, cartwheeling out of their infected houses, chasing after me, waving, waving. ...smiles as wide and ridiculous as the sun's. Why, thank you! Thank you! Thank you very much! Wonderful another appearance from our handler. Whatever he wanted, I was willing to bet folding money that our little vacation was coming to an end. Well, well, well. Would you look at all that chicanery, all that roiling nonsense. See, I told you, Isaiah, the DIM is really starting to get a bit out of hand. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Which is why the two of you are being called in. The time has come to wrap up your affairs at Amet's Threshold and do your sacred duty. Next up, the city of Blackledge, the Chimney District. Oh. Be there by tomorrow night, and don't be late. <laughs> no. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone
1: and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and
0: Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the sleep-wake cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Meltopia, head over to Maltopia.com.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.